0: Becky, you're a gift to our church and to our souls, and we're grateful for that. You know, as long as there's been church, there's been the preaching of the Bible and the preaching of the gospel and singing and beautiful music and food. (laughs) Do you ever think about that? Wherever the gospel has gone, food has gone. You can tell I'm a credible witness by looking at me, I'm sure. It's interesting. Early in the church... Big importance given to food. It is interesting. We have a funeral. And, and we have uh, singing. And we have testimonies. And we have food. And we don't want to overlook the significance of the food. You go down in the basement of the church, and i as a pastor for 30-some years, I've always had a sense that there is a significant ministry that doesn't even really begin until you bring out the food and people eat together. Jesus knew this. He knew that food was this basic human need and He cared about when people were hungry, even just a little bit hungry. I always tell my boys, a man can go 40 days without eating food or driving and they want to stop somewhere. And Jesus could have said that. He could have said, folks, I've gone 40 days without eating food. You can too. But he didn't do that. When people were hungry, he cared about the fact that they were hungry. I think I told you last week I took Holly out for her birthday breakfast. We have this tradition in our home that I take uh, my kids out for breakfast on their birthday and Hope turned 13 this week. So we're eating breakfast. And um, that is one delightful breakfast. And I can remember all those little breakfasts and I remember Heidi I remember you were a sausage uh burrito girl weren't you when you were little and um and uh hope and I were having breakfast and just enjoying being together and and I said to her so now that you're 13 you're going to have to start thinking some pretty grown up thoughts cuz uh you're 13 now and um what are you going to do with yourself, you think? You know, I mean, the sky's the limit these days for a girl. What are you going to do with yourself? And, uh, of course, she said something that made me delighted. She said, Dad, I've thought a lot about it lately, and I, I really would. Am I allowed to say this? Hope? Uh, yeah, it's okay. I just <laughs> forgot to ask. And, and she said, uh, I, I, I'd like to be a missionary. I'm like, yeah. I'd like you to be a missionary too. And um, during our breakfast, I always try to take time to just stop after we get done eating and clear the dishes away and look them in the eyes and tell them what, how much I love them and what a delight they are to me, what a delight she is to me. And she has a tender heart, so I started to say that. Her eyes just pulled up with tears. Tears just ran down her face. It was such a great breakfast. It was such a happy time. And I said to her, you know, Hope, I want to remind you that your mom and I have raised all you girls to be homemakers. Whatever else you do, and you might do amazing things, one of the things we did, just so you know, is we raised you to be homemakers. And you know why? Because we believe that God wants the world to go on. And if the world is going to go on, moms we have to have moms and babies and if you have babies babies have to have lots of attention wonderful how god's made it that way and they're going to need dads that provide and and that nurture and that teach and that, and that protect and moms that nurse and nurture and love homemakers scriptures are clear about that i said hope i if you marry someday i hope the lord will give you babies like a big busload of them, and, and, then, and then that will be a great patriarch with many, many offspring, you know. And, uh, and I said, Hope, you know, I don't know what your future will hold, but here's what I can guarantee you about all the people in your life. They're going to like to eat. We were at a restaurant, when we were talking about this. They're going to like food, and they're going to like food at least three times a day You guys might want to get notes on this. I'm your pastor now. Um, Yeah, you're going to eat like at least three times a day, sometimes four or five times a day. People like to eat. I said, oh, one thing I know. I don't know a lot of things. You might be a doctor. You might be a lawyer. You might be a missionary. But if you get to be a wife and a mother, the people in your life are going to want to eat food. So I don't know a lot about other things, but if you're good at making food, you will always have a place in the hearts of people. Can I get a witness on that? Of course. It's just something about people that make us food. We like people who make us food. When people make us food, it works its way into our hearts. Jesus knew that because he knew the human condition He created human beings. He knew every need that they would have. He knew their needs for emotional warmth and safety and security. He knew that they would need clean, fresh water. And he knew that they would love to eat. And he cared about that. There is one miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And it is the story about Jesus feeding thousands of people. Remember last week's banquet that was all bawdy and lurid and filthy and depraved? And th- in the Bible, we weren't involved in that. It was in the Bible. Remember last week we talked about it. This week's feeding is all beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful scenes in all of the Gospels. It's repeated in every Gospel. The only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's repeated in every Gospel. Friends, listen. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He expects you to know and understand and like this story of the feeding of the multitudes. So today... We're in Matthew chapter 14, and so you want to take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read this beautiful story, uh, the Matthew version of the feeding of the more than five thousand people. Matthew chapter 13, and uh, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. Let me read it to you. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there. Heard it. He was. This was uh, picking up on the story of the. Um, Beheading of John the Baptist. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go to the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children let's go through this story again in in some scenes in four scenes let's talk about this story in four scenes and I think you're going to see why it's so very important and and before we even start into this I want you to imagine, you know, we, Jesus here is dealing with people whose stomach is, stomachs begin to growl. They can, can you relate to that? Yeah. They, they're hungry. Uh, they get, later in the day they get hungry. This is a problem. You remember, they are people that gathered because they were people that many of them had problems. What was their problem? They were sick or, or infirmed or lame or hurt. Yeah. They were sick. They're hurting. So this is a group that followed Jesus because either they were sick or somebody they really loved was sick. And then, of course, they had the the other problem later on. And I want to go through this little story. But before we do, I want you to think, and this will help you, help this message to kind of go home to your own heart. And that is, uh, maybe you're sick. Or we have members, by the way, you know, uh, Max Hammer is an example who would be sitting right there today, but I think he's in the hospital. Is he still in the hospital? Yeah. Um. Sick. we got people who'd love to be in church because they're sick. And some of you that are here, you have sickness. I saw walkers coming in this morning and various things. There's, they're always going to have sickness. And, and then some of us have problems with our marriages. We can't always talk about that, but some of us have just pain, heartaches, adjustments, difficulties with the marriage. And we expect so much of marriage, and, and it's, it's troubling sometimes, right? Some of us here, say, I'd like to have a problem with a marriage. I don't have a marriage. I'd like to have one, you know, and Others, it's family problems or problems with the kids that nothing can get to you like a problem with your kids. And then who doesn't, who doesn't have financial problems? If you don't have financial problems, let me know, and I will give you tithe envelopes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, thank you for laughing at that. Yeah, Financial problems, health problems, marriage problems, family problems. You're sick, you don't have enough money. You're sad, you're grieving, you're lonely. Imagine this gathering in Jesus now. Look into Jesus, and he knows and he cares that you have that problem that you're thinking about today. And I want you to keep that in mind now as we tell this story in scenes. Scene number one is Jesus seeking solitude. I just love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. The king of the universe, the untiring king of the universe in his humanness, very God and very man. Every bit God, every bit man. He is got this rhythm of life that's always going on where He is so active and so strong and so busy and so important. And he would gather multitudes around him to do things, but he would also be the man who would go off in the wilderness and take time to look at flowers and listen to birds and bless children and pray early in the morning and through the night. He loved nature that he created. He loved the fellowship of solitude with his Father. He liked to get in little groups with people that he loved and get away from big crowds and build into the lives just a few a little at a time. He wasn't just the type A personality that was just always pressing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Jesus loved solitude and I believe in this particular case his heart is grieved about John the Baptist, and he's preparing to be rejected, and he's preparing to train his disciples, and he wants to go away. So he gets in a boat to seek solitude, and he cuts across the north lip of the Sea of Galilee, and he goes over on the other side of the Jordan, across the north lip of the Sea of Galilee, to a small town, actually to a slope about a mile south of a small town, and it's a grassy slope, and it's in the spring of the year. He wants to go over there to be alone, or maybe even better, he wants to go to be alone with a small cluster of his disciples. Now before we go on, I just want to stop pause, hit the pause button, and remind you of this example of Jesus. In case we don't get back to an example of this, I just want to say something to you as pastor to people. And that is, you should work hard and you should have a lot of energy for the Lord, and you should do whatever you can. And in order to make things work and pay the bills and take care of things, it's obviously going to require men and women to work hard. That's true. And then there's going to be stuff to do at church, and that's going to you know, take a chunk of your schedule too. You're going to do all of that. Years ago, we were in the mountains of Kentucky. We were on a vacation. Many years ago, really, we were camping out. We had a big tent, and there was a little creek that ran by at the base of the mountains. And we had that little place for a few days. And I remember that at nighttime, we would all gather, and you could just hear the outdoor noises, the frogs and the crickets, and you could smell the fresh night air. And it was fun to be down the mountains of Kentucky. And I always think, when I take Lois home to Kentucky, she just has a little bit more happiness, and the kids enjoy that. So we were just having a great time we were camping out. We slept in the tent at night and listened to those sounds and felt the cool night air. In the daytime, I remember that Lois had these memory books that she and her sister were horsing around with. And they had them open and they were looking at pictures. Now, this was a while ago, but I remember that the pictures that they would cut out and put in these memory books are of the children when they were even smaller yet. And so I just stopped for a minute and I looked in those memory books and I flipped a few pages And I had that feeling that you have when you're a dad and now I'm a grandfather, so I'm really good at this. It's like, wow. It's amazing how fast life goes by, how quick those kids grow up, how fast life passes. The older we get, the more we have a sense of that. The older we get, the more we have the sense of the fragile nature of life and the brevity of life and the importance of seizing life. And I just sensed that as I was looking at those books. And that night I after all the kids went to sleep, and I could just tell how the breathing changed. Everyone was asleep. I got up, I took a little bit of a walk. And I kind of hit the reset button in my heart and in my mind. I thought, you know, i got to make sure that when I get back to town and I get back off a vacation, that I don't just push and press and push and press all the time, but that I remember that my kids are growing up really fast, my life is going by really fast, and I need to do what's really important, and I need to take time to do that. And then I remembered somebody told me one time, that they had a little tradition. And their tradition, they stopped by an office supply, and they got a a package of red adhesive dots. And they took their calendar, and they kind of got their family together, and they would put a red dot on a day. And they would say, on a red dot day, nobody can take any outside work or appointments. That's a family day. That red dot day is a sacred day. Unless an emergency happens, we're going to take the phone off the hook if we can. And we're going to put away things and we're going to spend that day together. And then I decided when I go home from Kentucky, I'm going to have some red dot days. Well, now the family's grown up more and they're starting to marry and have children and they have jobs. And I cherish the memory of my red dot days. Jesus had red dot days. My Savior Jesus, my example He had red dot days. He was the Sabbath. He taught the Sabbath. He had times when he would go alone and he would quietly breathe deep and smell the fragrances around him and see the colors around him and listen to the sounds around him. And he would take time for the people that he loved and for the things that were important. I wanted to talk about that a little bit today because that's one of the things about Jesus that I just admire so much. And I hope that even today, as a side point of what we're saying, that you would take the example of Jesus. But here's Jesus seeking solitude, and what happens? Emergency comes up. When he gets there, it's not quiet. There's a multitude of needy people clamoring for his attention. That's scene number two. In verse 14, Jesus went out, saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. This move with compassion word in the original language is a gut word, Jesus had a deep, visceral, physical, passionate compassion for people when they were hurting or sick or sad or hungry or tired. Jesus didn't care mildly. Jesus cared deeply. The word means, Jesus. this word is used 12 times in the New Testament, and 8 times it's used about our Savior Jesus. He had a unique, deep compassion for people. Jesus was not the kind of man who would have made fun of people who were not educated. Jesus was not the kind of man who would have made fun of people who had trouble with their dental care. Jesus was not the kind of man who would have made fun of people who were poor or were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus was the kind Kind of man that would immediately, when other people were laughing or mocking or being selfish or ignoring people, Jesus was the kind of man who had deep compassion in his heart for those people. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there are a lot of people that live around us that we could have compassion for like Jesus did. And I want to remind you that when you hurt, He has compassion for you. This is what Jesus saw. These people, and they had this need, this felt need. He knew that their ultimate need was not physical but spiritual, but He met physical needs. And it doesn't say so in this passage, but in the other synoptics and in John, it says that He taught them. Jesus touched their felt needs and He also spoke to their real and eternal and spiritual needs this crowd scene number three is a problem that arises after that because he must have spent some time teaching and healing and they spent some time together there in this scene you see verse 15 it was evening It was toward the end of the day disciples came to him and they have a problem they say this is a deserted place and the hour's already late so they, they, here's the here's the problem. The the, the people are. And he's going to say in a moment here. Where are they going to sleep and where are they going to eat? And this is a place is a long way from everywhere. And uh, and the hour is getting late. The sun is going down the sky. So they come to Jesus and what do they say to Jesus? We need to send these people home. <laughs> we need to send them away. Now this was a pattern with the disciples. We won't be too hard on them, but it's a pattern. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about the Syrophoenician widow. That's going to happen on Mother's Day, actually, Lord willing. And 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 here, the the, the G, Jesus is away in another place, up in the mountains, and he's away. And this woman's trying to get to him, and the disciples are like, "Go away, Gentile lady." Jesus is going to go, wait, 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 let her, let her in, let her in. And then that's another story for another day. And then there was the whole matter of like people always bringing their children to get Jesus to bless their children. It's like, well, and the disciples are like, send them away. So you don't want to be too hard on the disciples, but there is a bit of a pattern where they're like, we got a big problem. Let's send the big problem away. <laughs> Let's move away from the problem. Well, that wasn't the way Jesus wanted to solve this problem. It would have been ra- you know, There would have been good rationalization for it. It's like, look, did we ask you people to come here? No. You know? Did, did, we bring it, did we pack enough lunch for you? No, we didn't. Should you not have thought ahead and brought your own lunch? Yes. I mean, why is your problem that you didn't plan? Have you ever had people that were really organized say, you know, a failure to plan on your part does not constitute a crisis on my part. Well, Jesus didn't say stuff like that. Like, they didn't pack their lunch and He didn't go. He didn't preach a message on not packing your lunch. And He didn't send them away. And He wanted the disciples to be in this circumstance with these people... Like, and he said, well, they, we should send them away because it's a long way and we don't have enough. And in another passage, they're like counting how much money they have. In this passage and the other passages, they're like counting how much food. And it's woefully inadequate for a huge multitude like this. And so they say, well, maybe we should, <laughs> we should send them away. Now, Jesus, the master teacher, he's always creating these learning experiences Jesus was a powerful master teacher, and always creating these learning experiences like this one. In John chapter uh, six is the passage, the parallel to this, and verse six. Uh, there's Philip is named here. It specifically says that he would ask the men what to do, but he always knew in his mind what he was going to do ahead of time. So, what was that all about? It said in John chapter six and verse six, he said it to test them. He set it to test them. So Jesus is putting them under a uh, controlled pressure. He's giving them a problem to solve. He knows exactly how He's going to solve the problem already. He knew ahead of time what He was going to do. But He says to them, so what are we going to do? And they're like, send them away. <laughs> I like that. I don't know. It's a problem. Send them away so it can just be us guys here on this pleasant hillside. He's like, now listen to what He says. He says in verse 16, he says to them, in verse 16, Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. That would have been frustrating. Would that have frustrated you? You're like, please ask me to do something I can do. I don't have enough food. I don't have enough money. I I can't do anything about this. And so the disciples, as soon as He puts the pressure on them and He puts them in this learning circumstance, they they kind of wig out. And they're like, "Uh, uh, we can't do it. That's the scene. And then there's a fourth scene. Jesus has this beautiful solution. Look at verse 18. uh, They said, we only have five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus says something that's pregnant with significance. What does he say to them? Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. You only have what you have. Bring it here to me. And then scene number four, scene number one was Jesus seeking solitude. And scene number two was a crowd forming. And scene number three was the problem that occurred because they needed food and they were tired. And scene number four is Jesus then performs this kind of quiet, understated miracle. I heard once of a guy who decided that he wanted to have a big youth rally and he wanted to get 5,000 kids at the youth rally. So he said, we're we want 5,000 kids and we're going to have the feeding of the 5,000. So <laughs> a bunch of kids showed up. I think they might've had 5,000 kids at the youth rally. And then they said, well, it's time for lunch. And the guy got up and he prayed for lunch, but there was no lunch. There was no lunch anywhere in sight. There were no preparations for lunch anywhere. He gets up, and it's a part of the game, you know. He gets up, and he prays, dear Lord, provide lunch. All of a sudden, helicopters come flying in. You think I'm making this up, don't you? This is true, Chris. This is true. It's a true story. Yep. Guy flies in a helicopter. you your alma mater, as a matter of fact. Hey, helicopters <laughs> helicopters come flying in and drop, airdrop 5,000 quarter pounders with cheese. <laughs> and then that was the feeding of the 5,000. Well, now that was, a, that was like kind of a circus. <laughs> yeah, I guess what that was. And that was a lot of fun. And I'm sure the kids remembered that for a long time. This scene is completely different, though. This is a bona fide miracle. A quiet, powerful, beautiful, understated miracle of God. I want you just to imagine just for a minute the setting here. It's not hard to imagine. You don't have to add much to this. This is the way we want to read our Bibles Think about this. Now we have Jesus is on the north slope of the Sea of Galilee. And when the grass is green, it's springtime. It's beautiful springtime. This is the time of year when the birds migrate south and they don't go over the desert and they don't go over the water. They come right over this land. And so overhead, the birds are thronging overhead, and it's springtime, and the flowers are blooming. In the passage in John, it says that Jesus lined the people up. He perfectly organized the people in groups of 50 and 100. And the, and the word that's used there is like the people look like a garden patch, like, like a flower garden as you can imagine the different clothing that the people wore. When you look at this scene of thousands and thousands of people, 15 or 20 or 25,000 people with women and children. They had big families back then. There was this huge group of people. And they are all divided up. This would have been a spectacle to behold. Imagine spring of the year. People now are feeling this benevolence of they've been taught by Jesus himself. And He's healed people among them. Now they're hungry and He's going to feed them. It must have, there must have been a hush that went over this multitude. How is Jesus going to feed people with five loaves and two fishes? And what's it going to taste like when He does that? The sun is going down the sky. The flowers are blooming. The birds are overhead. The people's hearts have been... Touched by the divinity of Jesus Christ, and now He's going to feed them fish like they never tasted before—miracle fish—and bread like they never tasted it before. And they're going to eat till they're full. The Bible says, "It's the word they use when people act when 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 uh, livestock uh, fodder." uh, They uh, these who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. But verse. 20 says, they all ate and were filled. They ate and they were filled. And then there were 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets. Interesting. Disciples were the intermediaries in this, right? Jesus didn't just say to the disciples, sit down over there, I want to show you something. He said, come here, let's feed these people. (laughs) They're like... Can you imagine Jesus saying, did you kind of forget the stuff that you that I showed you before, like, you know, little things like raising the dead, casting out demons, and healing people? Did it ever occur to you that, you know, I was here? Did it ever occur to you that maybe one of you could have said, hey, we don't have much, but we're with you, so do what you do? <laughs> I'm sure we're going to feed these people. It would have been great if somebody had stepped up and said, hey, folks, relax, it's all good. We don't have any food here, but Jesus is here, and we've seen him do wonderful things. When there was a lack of wine at the wedding, Jesus' mother had the good sense to say, to know who to go to. <laughs> These disciples probably should have said, Jesus is here. Jesus, I sure you can solve it. But they were too busy going, they were too busy counting their change and, and looking in their bag lunch, going, This is not going to work. We need to send him away. <laughs> Beautiful story. You like it? It's the way all Jesus' stories are. I like to think of it like this. There's the story, and then there are the implications for us. Can I make some suggestions? You're probably smart enough you got all these already, but let me make a few suggestions about what you can do when you have a problem that you can't solve. Number one, realize that God might be putting you under controlled pressure right now. You think it's you're out of control. But He put His disciples under kind of a controlled pressure. He was using His circumstances to grow them. John said it was to test them. Jesus was doing something. If you have a problem right now, and I'm sure you do, did it ever occur to you that Jesus is in charge of everything? God is providentially in charge of everything. He's in sovereign control of everything. He, if you love Him, according to Romans 8, 28, He's working all things together for your good. And so He's got you under controlled pressure. Your life is not out of control. You just feel like your life is out of control. Right now, He's got you right where He wants you. He doesn't want you just to look down at what you have. That brings us to the second thing. When you have a problem, realize that God is probably using it to grow you. And second, think about who you're with, not what you have. Don't just look down and go, well, I don't have much money and I don't have much stuff. Wait a minute. Are you a child of the King? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? You have a Bible full of God's promises on your lap. When you have a problem, think more about who you have and who you're with than what you have. And here's the third thing. Take what you have and give it to the Lord. Take it to Him. That's the beautiful part of this, I think. He said, bring it here to me. Just a little statement. You got that red letter edition of the Bible. There's just this little phrase, bring it here to me. That's the way the Lord works. He wants us to take what we have, consecrate it to him, and say, Lord, this isn't enough. This isn't enough to do what needs to be done. I gotta have miracles. I can't just you know, like the sanctification thing. It isn't gonna happen just because you try harder or you have good examples, or you determine not to do those bad things that you've been doing. Sanctification requires a series of miracles. Do you need to be sanctified? Sanctified is a fancy theological word for growing in holiness. We all need it. Can I give you a personal example? You're like, will this mean I go to lunch later? Yes. You'll go to lunch a little... Can I give you a personal example? Okay, I will then. I actually didn't see anybody nod yes, but I, I'm going just going with it anyway. I'm staying up at Heidi and Austin's house, and uh, with, when, when Kira was born, we went up there, and we were excited about her birth, and, and then... then <laughs> And they they were all just kind of buzzing about that, and they had just left swiftly to go to the hospital. So I I think um I think the Hancock's went by the house and took care of a few little things, put out some bedding for us and so forth. And so Eric and Jane are here. Congratulations, Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah, and um and so they did that for us. So we we went up to the to the house and and we, we we're tired, and so I said, well I don't know where we're all going to sleep, but there's a guest room and I'm taking the guest room. You know, so I grabbed the Quilt that was there, and there was a pillow on top of it. I just grabbed the quilt and grabbed the pillow, and I said to Lois, If you want to sleep with me, we'll be in the guest room. But, you know, I'm kind of big, and she goes, I figured she might sleep on the couch, which is what she did. Actually, what really happened was Hope slept on the couch for some reason, and Lois slept on the love seat, and that was pretty humorous to see in the morning. But anyway, so I go alone in the guest room. I have the guest room to myself, and uh, I have this nice quilt, this nice pillow, and I just throw the pillow down and put the quilt over me, and I just remember that night just feeling happy. I'm a grandpa. i got this adorable little peanut of a granddaughter, and, and I'm, it, all all's right with the world. And then I go to sleep, and I wake up refreshed in the morning. I get up early, and we go back, and we pass the baby around, and Austin goes home and showers, and he comes back, and he's got this kind of rascally smile, kind of a son-in-law rascally smile on his face. And he goes, like, who slept in the guest room? I'm like, that was me. He goes, were you alone? I'm like, yeah. He goes, (laughs) he starts laughing. I go, what, what, what is it? He goes, that pillow that you were using, that's the dog's pillow. I'm like, they got this slobbering monster of a dog. It looks like a deer, you know. It's like a pit bull crossed with a deer or something. It's a big dog. And he said, that dog, you know, didn't you see the hair or didn't you know that's the... See, so I had this... Deep consciousness of my need for personal sanctification. <laughs> and my wife loved that. She just loved it. And Austin liked it a little too much, I thought. you know, <laughs> He was just smiling and looking at me. Every time I looked at him that day, he would go, <laughs> just kind of laugh at me. And I was like, hmm, you know. Selfishness is, takes a s- series of miracles to get selfishness out of a man like me. I can't just determine to be not selfish. It's too deep in me. Too deep. Too deep. It takes miracles for that to happen. And so what do I do when I want God to do something I can't do? I take in what I have and I admit, God, this is all I have. And it's not nearly enough. This is all I have. I've been working this 53 years and I'm not even out of kindergarten yet, God. So, God, I'm going to have to have your help. This is what you do. God, I don't have a job and... A lot of people don't have a job. I mean, I do. I'm just speaking, you know, like poetically. Well, if you go to the Lord and you say, God, I don't have a job, but this is what I can do. I do what I do. I give you what you have to do. What only you can do, God, Lord, there's this sickness and I don't know anything about. it. It's a great mystery. I don't know what's going to what's going to happen. But God, I bring what I have to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Take what you have to God and let him do what only he can do. Does that does that have a ring of truth to it to you? there are things only God can do and this final thing here serve others and then live on what's left over look what happened there is a significance in everything here and there is left there are leftovers and there are 12 guys passing a baskets and there are 12 baskets of leftovers i think everybody ate and i think that the disciples ate last they fed everybody and they ate Everybody was completely full and you may find greater symbolism in that more power to you You study that you tell me come tell me afterward But I was to say that there was an abundance to take care of everyone and there was abundance for everyone that took care of everyone And it's easy when we have like only a little to say I'm gonna take care of me and I'm gonna let you worry about you But what Jesus says is you take care of them and then I will see to it that I take care of you and that's true he wants us to serve others and then He wants us to live on the overflow. Not the really so much the leftovers. That's kind of the wrong idea. But He wants us to live on the abundance that comes in, after a life That's given to other people. You love your wife. You sacrifice for your wife. You give to your wife. You tend to your wife. You take care of your wife. You look over your children. You love them. You give, you give, you give. You serve in the church and you give and you serve and your schedule is not your own. And you think, I don't have a life. Yes, you do have a life because when you give like that and when you love and when you serve then you wake up one day and you realize you're living on this this abundance this overflow of a miracle working god what is this whole thing here for why is this whole passage here it's to show us that god cares and that he is able to do whatever it is he wants to do he the The writer Matthew and the other gospel writers, all of them want us to see who Jesus is and accept Him for who He is because none of us will ever be able to handle the problems that we have in this life or the looming problem that we are going to have in the next life unless Jesus Christ is the King of our life. That's what this is all about. And this is what I would have you think about Some of you here, you just haven't crossed over into faith. You're not born again. You're not a child of God. Jesus isn't your king. He's your creator. He's going to be your judge someday, but He's not your king right now. And you know that you can take care of that in a moment, in an instant. You can pass from not being a child of God to being born again a child of God. You can pass from being not justified but living under the condemnation of your own sin over to having the righteousness of Christ and and having all your sin taken away from you by Jesus Christ. And that happens, the Bible teaches, that happens like birth or marriage. It happens in a moment. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And I trust the Spirit will bring this home to your soul and your heart. Father in heaven, I pray for these that have listened to this message today. We've heard this beautiful story. We've thought about it this week, and we've loved this story. I love this story. What a beautiful, beautiful story it is. How wonderful it would have been to be there with you on that hillside, to see your power to deliver people from demons and from sickness and sadness and heartache and sorrow and difficulty and hunger and tiredness. And to eat, to listen to You pray and thank Your Father and, for, and to eat. And Lord, we, we sense that You have been feeding us and feeding us and feeding us throughout all our lives, creating a pleasant circumstance for us and providing for us. And that, Lord, uh, today, I pray that You'd help us not to be content with You just meeting our felt needs our physical needs for food and health and family but lord that we would listen to your heartbeat that we would allow you to be our king our conquering leader our savior i'd like you to sing lead on O king eternal